0: A number of years ago, I was speaking with a pastor friend of mine, and I asked him what his wife did, and he said that she was a life coach, and he must have seen the very perplexed look on my face because he then proceeded to explain what a life coach is. I had no idea what this was. Apparently, a life coach is a kind of like adult guidance counselor that you hire to like tell you how to live your life well. And I still sat there very confused. Like, huh. And I couldn't decide, is that the best thing I'd ever heard or the worst thing I'd ever heard? Like, yeah, like we want to live our lives well. It makes sense that, yeah, why wouldn't I pay someone to help talk me through my life and be like, am I making a bad decision here? Should I do this or that? Like, that sounds great. And I'm like... Who are you going to get to do that for you? Who's qualified to be a life coach for people? What are they going to do? What are they going to say? What are they going to charge you? It's like a living self-help book that is personalized just for you. Well, thankfully we have the Bible, which is kind of, in a sense, like a life coach. In fact, our passage today is about how to live your life well. How to have a life well lived. That the Bible cares about that, that we live our lives well in a way that we enjoy them, in a way that God honors them. And so we're continuing our series through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And so you can open up your bulletins, you can open up the Bible. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and going into chapter 12 as well, looking at this idea of having a life well lived and wanting to live our lives well We're near the end of the book. Throughout this book, the author, who we don't know exactly who the author was, is trying to teach us how to live wisely in this mixed-up, often upside-down world we find ourselves in. So let's hear the Word of God, beginning in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. "'Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days.'" As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put pain away, put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, that this life can be very confusing, and knowing how to live and how to live well seems beyond our understanding. And so we thank you, O God, for speaking to us in your word and revealing truth to us and granting us wisdom through understanding. We pray, O God, that you would guide us today in your word. Use me in spite of my sin and my weakness to faithfully proclaim your word, to expound and apply it, and give us ears to hear. Open our hearts and minds and work through your spirit, O God, and the word that we might know your word, that we might believe it, that we might live by it, and hold fast to it. In Jesus' name, amen. In our passage this morning, I want to highlight two dangers to a life well-lived that are ultimately overcome in our faith in Christ. The first of these dangers we can find in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 11, those first six verses of what we read. Chapter 11 begins with some strange proverbial sayings. I'll say them again. Cast your bread upon the waters. For you will find it after many days. Now, I don't know about you, but the only time I throw bread on the water is to feed ducks and fish, and there's this little turtle pond at the beach that we go to, and we feed turtles. And you know what? Not once have I ever gotten that bread back. I've cast my bread upon the waters, and it has never come back to me. So, what are these sayings saying? Well, they're related to investing and trading that you are to send out your product like bread and you will get a return in good time. Investing can seem like you must let go of what you have in order to get something from it. And then in verse 2, we are told to diversify your business, as in giving to seven or eight different portions so that if one of those areas fail, you have not lost everything. You're like, great. That's super helpful advice, but why is it here and not on CNBC? Why are we talking about it in the Bible? We don't need market analysis. We don't need stock tips this morning. Well, it's connected to the larger point, which is seen in the phrase, you do not know. That phrase that you do not know comes up four times in these six verses, the author of Ecclesiastes is speaking to our anxiety about uncertain outcomes. This idea is in verse 3. Because some of life can be predicted reasonably well. If you see dark clouds outside, there's a chance it is likely going to rain. But there are some things we cannot always understand as well as we'd like. For example, if a tree falls, we're not quite sure which direction it's going to fall. We can try to make it go the way we want it to go, but it doesn't always fall where we want it to. And so while we can know some things, we cannot anticipate and predict all possible outcomes. And that can make us anxious to the point of inaction. Look at verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will. Will not reap. That verse pictures a farmer standing outside evaluating the weather and being like, I don't know if today's the right day for this. I don't know. Maybe you've had this recently. I know I have, but I'm like, ah, it's a little too windy today to rake leaves. Oh, but it's going to rain tomorrow. Yeah, but more leaves are going to fall in the coming days. I'm busy next week, though. Like, should I rake today? Should I not rake? Oh, it's time for bed. I don't get to rake leaves today. If we wait for the perfect moment, we are going to be waiting forever and never do anything productive. But this anxiety about outcomes wrongly assumes that uncertainty equals failure. But uncertainty does not necessarily mean failure. What if athletes sat in the locker room, afraid to go play the game because they were worried they might lose? What if a basketball player never attempted a shot because they were worried they might miss? Sure, sitting in the locker room would keep you from losing, but it also keeps you from winning. And sure, not shooting assures that you will not miss, but you're also never going to make. Wisdom does not Always teach caution. Wisdom often encourages boldness. And so we need to consider boldness and not just caution. Look at verse 6. It says, In the morning sow your seed, at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Life has many uncertain outcomes, and if we let our anxiety about negative outcomes keep us from living, we're going to miss out on potential blessings, especially those blessings the Lord promises. A great example of this can be found in our New Testament reading from Mark 4. In this parable, Jesus describes this farmer, again, who's out sowing seeds, scattering it all over his land. And he knows that not all of it will end up growing. But that doesn't stop him from scattering his seed. The likely failure of some seed does not prevent him from sowing any seed. He trusts that enough seed is going to fall on good soil that it will produce a good crop. What if we had that attitude when we when it came to telling others about Jesus. Too often we are anxious about negative outcomes. We're worried that someone isn't going to like us anymore or that we'll accidentally turn someone away from the Lord. And so we don't tell people about Jesus. We only focus on the possible negative outcomes. Why is it that we don't let our anticipation of positive outcomes Spur us on to evangelism? Why don't we boldly share our faith, knowing that God has promised that some will indeed believe whom we share the gospel with? See, one of my favorite little moments in the Bible is found in 1 Samuel 14. In that little passage, we meet Jonathan, the son of King Saul, and he's there with his armor bearer or squire or toady, whatever you prefer. And they scout out this garrison of the Philistine army. And just the two of them are there. And they're like, you know what? Let's give it a shot. And here's what Jonathan says. Let's go engage the enemy because it may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Do you hear how his boldness flows from expectant faith that God might act positively. He's like, God might do something good. He knows God might not do something good, and this could go wrong. But he says, you know what? Let's boldly go and not let anxiety about negative outcomes stop us. The author of Ecclesiastes, I think, makes his point most strongly in verse 5. He's trying to get us to see boldness is good. In verse 5, he writes this, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Keep in mind, this is before sonograms and ultrasounds and all that stuff. When a woman gets pregnant, we don't know for sure how the baby is going to develop. We don't know if the baby is going to have any birth defects, We don't know if there's going to be a miscarriage. We don't know if there's going to be a stillbirth. But there's a chance, a good chance, that we're going to be blessed with life, with good life, with joyous life, with wonderful life, even if there are troubles as well. We are all here because of the risk of childbirth. Life is full of risks and possible negative outcomes, but the joys of life and living, are worth pursuing boldly and wisely in accordance with God's Word. And so the author of Ecclesiastes is telling us to stop focusing only on negative outcomes and consider the blessings and joys and positive outcomes that our bold faith can bring. So as we've seen so far, the first danger of a life well lived is anxiety. Anxiety is frightened by what it sees in the future. The second danger is frightened by what it might see in the past. And the second danger is regret. The idea that we can look back on our life and be disappointed with how we live. No one wants to regret. We know life is good. We want to enjoy it. We see that in verse 7. Light is sweet. It is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. The point of it is life is a blessing that, yes, life has its share of troubles, but we want to enjoy life. It's good to be alive. And so in light of life's goodness, the author of Ecclesiastes gives us two commands in verse 8. He writes this, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. So rejoice and remember. Those are the commands that are key to avoiding the danger of regret. We should enjoy the days we have and remember that God has only given us a limited number of days to enjoy in this life. And the author of Ecclesiastes wants to specifically talk to young people about the danger of regret knowing they have the most time left to live their lives well. So in verse 9, he's writing to all the young people out there. Rejoice, O young man or young woman, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Now it sounds a little bit like he's saying, enjoy being young. And he is saying that a little bit, but what he really wants us to learn is to learn how to enjoy life, while we are young, so that enjoyment of life would carry over all of our years, keeping us from regret. That is the message of chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, which form a kind of poem, or as I prefer to call it, a run-on sentence in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 12. It's a very long sentence. It's at least one sentence in my English version. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But the key word in there is before. Meaning that we should remember our Creator before it is too late. We should learn to enjoy life under God before we get too old and cannot enjoy life as we could have when we were younger. Because life is as precious as a silver cord or a golden bowl, but it's eventually snapped or broken. And so he's saying, younger people, kids, listen to older people, especially when they say things like, you know, I wish I had done that when I was younger. I wish I had done more of that when I was younger. And I know for me, it is always the same thing. Enjoy those years with your young children. They don't last long. I can't tell you how many times I've been told that. And the temptation is very much strong, this week especially, to roll my eyes at the snotty noses as the dinnertime fights, the tattles, the tantrums. And yet, these older saints are wisely warning me to remember these days are fleeting. Enjoy them while you can. Do not despise the blessings of life. You don't want to regret not enjoying your life when you could have. But as we think about enjoying our life, we also have to think about enjoyment correctly. And so the second half of verse 9 keeps us grounded and balanced. It says this, "'Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes.'" but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So that first sentence sounds like, go, live as you want to live, make yourself happy. You're like, all right, this sounds great. But remember that God will bring all those things into judgment. You're like, oh, okay. So we need to enjoy life in God-approved ways. Thankfully, that's possible. And God tells us how. That's what we see in our Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy 6. It talks about how Israelite children would ask mom and dad, why do you do all this weird stuff about obeying God, mom and dad? It doesn't seem like that much fun to be obeying God. And parents would explain, kids, things were really bad when God didn't help us. God gave us all of these commands For our good. He created us. He knows best how we should live. And He tells us right here in His Word Yes, your sinful heart may desire to enjoy things in other ways, but sin never satisfies. Sin leads to regret. So, to enjoy or to avoid regret, we must strive to enjoy our life in the way our Creator has designed. By obeying him in these short days we have been given. And perhaps the best way for us to do this is to think about the common phrases about spending time and wasting time. I like those language of spending and wasting. We are very familiar with spending money and wasting money. Many of us were enticed by that huge Powerball jackpot, imagining how we could spend infinite money, endless money it would seem. Alas, none of us won. And so we are left with limited finances. And we carefully consider how we should wisely spend this limited money that we have. And as our bank account gets lower, the more careful we are about how we spend our money so we don't waste it. The same principle applies to time. There is no Powerball lottery for time that is up to like 300 bonus years of life. We can't win that. It doesn't work that way. Our time is limited, but we don't know how limited. And so we should wisely spend our time because we only have so much. Older people understand this better than younger people. Young folks still like to think they're going to live forever. But older people know different. They look back on how they've used their time and they can reflect on good uses of time, but also look back with regret on how they foolishly spent their time. And so a life well lived is one that considers in our early years how we spend our time, knowing we have only been given so much. We strive to enjoy the life we have been given, even if it's marked with suffering and pain, because before we know it, our years start running out, and we cannot add to them. So in our younger years, let us strive to wisely live for our Creator, because He's the one who's given us our time. So we've looked at these two dangers. We've looked at anxiety. We've looked at regret. Anxiety causes us to fear any kind of living, And regret causes us to fear the wrong kind of living. And the author encourages us to find a wise path to boldly enjoy life as long as God gives us life. But we still might be scared. We still might be anxious about living, about making mistakes. We still might have regret about how we have lived in the past. We need help to live wisely, and thankfully Christ gives us that help. Because in Christ, we do not need to fear regretting our past. Many of us here today are not young. Many of us may be thinking, I wish a life coach had sat me down when I was younger, read this passage to me about wisely using my time. But whether we are young or old, I bet we all have regrets about how we've wasted our time or done things foolishly. But in Christ, we have forgiveness for all of these past sins and mistakes. We have forgiveness for how we have foolishly sought our own pleasures. We have forgiveness for fearful inaction. We have forgiveness for all of those sins in Jesus, and we need not look back in shame or regret. We can instead look to the cross and to Jesus who has secured our forgiveness. And so we need not fear regret. But in Christ, we also do not need to fear the anxiety about outcomes in the future. Sure, we don't know what lies ahead. We don't know which way the winds of the culture will blow. We don't know what trials and difficulties we will face. We don't know how we might fail or how we might succeed. But in Christ, we do know our future is secure. And that no failure on our part, no boldness gone wrong will keep us from the salvation that Christ has given to us. It is secure. We can count on it with certainty. And so knowing that our past sins are forgiven, knowing that our future failures can be forgiven, we are fueled by the Spirit to enjoy this life in the present. And though these verses are written to the young, you folks who haven't been young in some time can still heed them. It is not too late to start. Yes, aging may have sapped some of the strength that you used to have. Yes, you may not be able to do as much as you used to. But while we are living, we can still enjoy life as the gift that God has given to us. We can still enjoy this life and live for Him in such a way with boldness that serves our family, our friends, and our community for Christ's sake. And to you who are young out there, kids, and not-so-kids, life is more than YouTube. Life is more than sports and video games. Life is more than social media and fashion and popular music. Not one of these old people in this room would say to you, I wish I could go back and play more video games. I wish I could go back and go to more soccer practices. I wish I could go back and scroll TikTok longer. Not a single older adult will tell you that. Listen to their wisdom, to the wisdom of God before you get too old. For a life well lived is one that is lived for Jesus, who spent all of his time for you. In fact, in a sense, it looked wasted but it was lavishly and richly spent for you. He gave up his life for you. And if he did that, will he not strengthen you to enjoy his life now as you boldly follow him? Let us pray. Oh God, we pray that you would work in us to help us consider how it is we live. Holy Spirit, be our divine life coach to correct us where we are wrong, to show us where we are living in foolish ways, to show us how we can boldly live for you. God, give us big faith that wants to live in such a way that we see successes as more possible than failures, that we need not fear the failures of our faith because we know there is forgiveness. God, help all of us who deal with regret and shame about our past and our time To know that we are forgiven, that those sins are gone, they are fully paid for in Christ. They are sitting at the bottom of the ocean floor. You're never going to see them again. Help us, O God. Father, we pray that you would fill us in such a way that we would live for you and give us joy in doing so. In Jesus' name, amen.